Hello, my beautiful creepsters. This is Tracy from Alabama, and y'all are listening to the newest episode of Sinister Sightings with Donna and Carrie. Roll Tide. Donna and I'm Carrie and we are Paranormal Chicks Sinister Sightings 180 and you just heard Tracy in from Alabama you know I'm not gonna say it (laughs) yeah whatever well roll tide and I can't do it (laughs) oh gosh Tracy actually is from uh Birmingham where I'll be by the time this airs for my skin you know the whole debacle her y'all her skin bless her heart (laughs) Her skin, something else. I mean, I said bless her heart. They get it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tracy. And if you want to do an intro like Tracy, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the APC podcast. You always church it up with your forward slash. <laughs> and I just say slash. Okay, the first one. Hello, lovely ladies. I love your show and have been listening a very long time and thought about sending in this story. I love the paranormal and my dad says we have a family ghost, but I have yet to experience anything besides noises at night, but I do have a true crime story that kind of hits home. I live in a very small town in the panhandle of Florida where everyone knows everyone. I had an amazing science teacher in middle school and we all had a very close connection with her as she treated the students as if they were her own and was the sweetest lady. My mom even had met her as she was a local nurse and my teacher had brought her son into the doctor's office a few times. My mom even commented how sweet she was and how respectful her son was. He was a very normal kid and even played baseball locally. About a year after I had left the class and moved on to high school, it was all over the news that he had stabbed his mother to death on Christmas Eve. What? He was 17 at the time and had hidden a knife in the sleeve of his shirt and stabbed his mom as soon as she let him in the door. He continued to use multiple knives and a baseball bat to assault her and left her on the floor. Oh my gosh. He was arrested and found not guilty due to insanity. Whoa. Many were outraged by this outcome and believed drug use contributed to his actions and behavior. He was a few years older than me and many kids who knew him were shocked and it rocked our small community. I know this isn't funny or a happy story, but I do believe it's important her story is told and it emphasized how truly amazing she was. She touched many kids' lives and we won't forget her. Thank you so much for taking the time to read this story and I hope you lovely ladies have an amazing holiday season. Sending this during the early December. Well, yeah, so if you want to know where we are, we're in early December. Yes. Wow, that's heartbreaking. Okay, this is where my brain went. How did he hide the knife or blade in his thing? What I pictured was him rolling up his sleeve, but oh, he just like did it like a magic trick, like put it long ways in his like long sleeve, probably. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But like, wonder, like, let him in where? Like, was he like, let him in her room? Let him in, you know what I mean? Probably he lived off from home because he was older and she was in high school at the time. He would, no, she said he was 17. Oh, well, shit. Gosh, that breaks my heart. Okay, the next one. Hey, ladies, I want to start off by saying I think y'all are the best. I've been obsessed with the podcast and have been binging nonstop. 
So much so that I haven't listened to anything else lately. Every time I feel like I'm being told a story by a great friend, I feel like I've found people like me. And after listening for a while now, I've realized how similar we are. And it's a nice feeling knowing there are people out there like me. Okay, sorry, enough sap. I have a few paranormal encounters I thought I'd share with y'all and the Creepinati fam. Looking back on my childhood, I was pretty sensitive to the paranormal. Every night growing up, I'd follow the same routine of turning on the bathroom light and leaving the door cracked in the hallway. I was very afraid of the dark. I would leave my bedroom door wide open and have just enough light shining into the hall to lightly illuminate my room. I would grab a book and just as I was getting comfy in bed, I would hear the TV turn on and the conversation filled the silence. I'd hesitantly go to turn it off as this would happen every single night with no explanation and no one physically turning it on. I'd check on my mom and siblings and they were all sound asleep. After a while, I'd start getting a little drowsy and just about that time, my nightly visitor would make his appearance. Yep, a shadow figure. The shadow figure would stand in my doorway and watch me. I never felt scared or unsettled because it never stayed long. It would turn its head toward the bathroom, walk into it, and disappear. These events happened for years, and one night they came to a halt. Trigger warning for the next story as there is mention of mental health, hospitalization, and self-harm. I have suffered from manic depression, now known as bipolar disorder, anxiety, and chronic PTSD. I was hospitalized quite a bit due to self-harm and suicidal attempts. I was last hospitalized when I was 13 years old and was unaware until after I was admitted that it was a long-term facility, which was hard for me to come to terms with. I was extremely vulnerable, scared, tired physically and mentally, and I just wanted to go home. That first night, I laid in bed crying, quietly asking God why. Why did I have to go through all of this? Why did he give me such horrible battles to fight? I rolled over and threw my arm over the side of the bed. I began to smell cigarettes. As I was slowly realizing that it was a familiar smell, I felt a hand tightly and warmly grasp onto my hand. The feeling of sheer calmness I felt in that moment was indescribable. I knew it was my Papa Dave who had passed away a few years prior at the time. I felt his presence, smelled his favorite cigarettes, and I knew he was there. I didn't see him this time or hear him, but it's like he almost telepathically told me that everything would be okay. I hope these stories weren't too long or boring. If y'all got to this email, thank you so much for reading. Please keep doing what you do. Love you, ladies. Much love, good vibes, and creep it real, Melinda. I love that. He gave you exactly what you needed when you needed it. Yes. And I'm really glad that you felt calmness because if you had your arm and hand dangling off the side of the bed, like if someone like would have warmly put their hand around mine and I didn't feel calm, there -hmm. would have been some issues. I know. I was like, oh my God, your hand was hanging off the edge of the bed. The monster's going to get it. I know. Like literally that's where I thought this was going. Like your shadow man had followed you there and he was like dragging you down to hell. I don't know how you were writing this, but that's what happened in my head. Yeah. But it was sweet. 
Yeah, it was a way better ending. Yeah. And also, thank you for telling us about your struggles and being so honest and open with us. Yes, definitely. Okay, the next one. Hey, girls. Hey, George B. here again. The first time I wrote in about my poltergeist experience in the house where I grew up. Then I had a few short stories concerning ghost dogs, ghostly knockings on the underside of my bathtub, etc. the second time I wrote in. Well, now I'm going to give two more stories. In the first story, I will discuss a haunted house I lived in over on Bay Street in Hattiesburg back in the early 1990s. Um, Hattiesburg's where we live, so that's what he's talking about. And also, um, that street, that's one of the streets where they do the illumination things, the little bags, the little sand, you know, whatever those are called. Yeah, illuminaries. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember if that was what they were called, but also I said Illuminati in my head, and I was like, that's not it. But anyway. Or maybe Illuminaries, but I'll Luminaries. Think, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, I wonder if this is the house that my brother-in-law swears is haunted because oh, he yeah. toured one of them, um, like, during Christmas. Okay. Anyway, I digress. I've been hesitant to write about this simply because the house sort of haunted me for many years after moving out, and I didn't want to stir anything up again. But it's for y'all, so I'll bite the bullet and write about it. The second story is about when I worked at the University of Southern Mississippi and managed student workers. Trigger warning on the second story, it involves suicide. I'm guessing this will be read either towards the end of September or the beginning of October 22. Let's see how close my prediction is. Uh, pretty fucking close there, George. Like, as close as you could get to that that possible answer. Like... Because we're recording this at the end of... No, yeah, it'll still be the end of September. Yeah, it'll... The last Thursday of September, this is going to come out. Damn, George. Okay. The first story, the house. I was going to the University of Southern Mississippi and decided to move out of the dorms and into an apartment near campus. The apartment was, as my archaeology professor termed it, a hovel. And I was miserably unhappy living there. So a couple of friends who lived in this big old two-story house on Bay Street, about four miles from campus, asked if I wanted to move in. The house was being used as a boarding house, so I would rent one of the rooms upstairs. It was a nice house, and even though I didn't drive back then, I decided to go for it. It beat living alone and being miserable, even though I would end up walking that distance most days to get to campus. From Bay Street? That's a long fucking way! Holy shit, I would have never went to campus, I'll tell you that right there. I'd have been like, uh, I'm going to do distance learning? That's not a thing, man. I don't give a fuck. Create it. Ain't no way, no hell. Even no. on a bike, I was thinking that's a long way. You yes. walked it. <laughs> and that's why we're fat. Okay. So things were fine there for the most part. I had a nice big bedroom, one of two upstairs, and the bathroom between the two bedrooms had a glorious clawfoot bathtub that was rigged up with a surround shower curtain to allow showers in it. The decorating scheme in that bathroom left a lot to be desired. It had a thick, red shag carpet and the walls were covered with hideous red wallpaper the shower curtain matched all of this but i overlooked all of that simply for the glorious bathtub there was a hidden attic in the house in order to get to it you had to crawl through a space about six feet long and three feet high through a three foot high door in the other upstairs bedroom where my friend stayed very weird also my spidey senses would go off like a four alarm fire over this attic it seemed malevolent to me, and I only visited that attic once. That was plenty. Shortly after I moved in, strange things would happen. Lights would go off and on. There would be unexplained noises in the night, and the cats my friends had would freak out over seemingly nothing, stare at spots in the room when no one was there, etc. 
They especially freaked out when the lights would go off and on. One evening, the friends and I were in the house's living room, and the big chandelier in the middle of the room suddenly brightened, then dimmed, and made this hissing sound while doing it. The cats really freaked out over that and ran from the room, while us humans just stared in fascination at this. One could argue it was an electrical issue, but that was the only time the chandelier did that for the rest of the time we lived there. At night, it would feel as if someone would come into my bedroom. I didn't hear footsteps as when I was a young teenager at home with a poltergeist experience, but I would feel the presence of someone in the darkness, and I knew whatever it was had come from that attic. Worse than all of this were the dreams I had while living in that house. I dream about the house and specifically the attic. I would dream of a woman in a red dress that would emerge from the attic and go downstairs to the living room and just walk around the house afterwards. I always had a sense of menace from her in the dream. Sometimes in my dreams, the house itself would come alive, develop teeth, and try to eat me. And yes, this was way before the Liam Neeson version of The Haunting came out. I always awoke in a panic from those dreams. Occasionally, when I would awaken, I would sense, just for a moment, a presence standing over my bed. I lived there several months before we all had enough and moved out. For years afterwards, I would have those dreams about the house and the lady in red and about the house trying to chew me up. Years. Once I started driving, I would drive past the house occasionally just to see if it had any power over me, but most times it just seemed like a house. Once or twice, I would feel a sense of dread from passing by it or even a pull towards the house, but nothing like actually living there. Oddly enough, I've occasionally thought about seeing if I could buy the house and live there again, but I don't know where those thoughts would have come from. Consciously, I have no desire to ever set foot back in that house, let alone live there. So I don't think those thoughts are actually my own. Maybe the house wants me back, but that won't happen. It can stay in my past, except, of course, for being here in the present as I write this. Hmm, odd. As I'm finishing up the old house story, I sort of want to go drive past it again. The student worker. Trigger warning, suicide. Justin was a slender young man who worked for me when I was over the computer room, as we call it, in the IT department at USM. This room was quite literally a room-sized computer known as the CP6 or the Bull computer. It was a massive, clunky, slow, and had very little storage for the size of it. My iPhone has 900 times the storage of that huge old computer. Justin started working there in 2000, and he was a very sweet, kind guy who I befriended, but in a boss coworker sort of way. So even though we hung out occasionally outside of work, I didn't know him as well as I wish I had. In 2001, after spring break, Justin was scheduled to come into work the night shift where he would do tape backups of the database for the bull. These were huge reel-to-reel tapes and would take roughly 18 of them to do the backup each night. I had been there all day since I worked 8 to 5 at that time and the backups would take from 5 p.m. until roughly 1 a.m. On this particular Tuesday, after spring break, Justin didn't show up for his shift. I attempted to call him, but no one picked up. So I had to work his shift, giving me the 8 a.m. to 1 a.m. shift. I was not happy about that, but it worked out. I got very little sleep when I got home and was back at work at 8 a.m. the next morning. I attempted a few more times to contact Justin, but no success. About the middle of the day, I received a phone call, and it turned out to be Justin's mother. She called to let me know that Justin had hung himself over spring break. 
It appeared he had issues with anxiety and depression. And just before spring break, his doctor at the USM clinic had changed his medication. He didn't adjust well to the medication and was unable to see the doctor because the university shut down entirely for this particular spring break. Normally it didn't, but every few years it would. This just happened to be one of those years. His mom proceeded to tell me that he called her in a panic and begged her to come help him, but that she was too busy and couldn't get away and just assumed he was being dramatic. He hung himself that night. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I felt as if someone had just walked into the room and punched me. This was my first exposure to suicide, and as it turns out, I didn't handle it well at all. Justin was just 21 years old when he decided to end his life. For the next two weeks, I lived in a semi-conscious blur due to working double shifts, 8 a.m. to 1 or 2 a.m. every day, and when I would sleep, Justin would be in my dreams. Occasionally, I would feel as if he was in my bedroom with me when I would be drifting off to sleep. Real, imaginary, wishful thinking? I honestly don't know, but for months afterwards, he occupied my every waking thought, and I felt so much guilt. For one thing, he had reached out to me as well at the beginning of spring break, but had just sent a message to me over the computer, Linux messaging, nothing fancy and sophisticated asking me if I was free to chat. I wasn't at the time, and for months and months, I felt so much guilt for not making the time for him then. After a month or so, I managed to express some of the feelings I was going through with a poem, which I actually posted in the group about a year ago. 20 years have passed since March 2001, and now I've feel neither guilt nor remorse, only a fond memory of that young man who left this mortal plane way too early. I pray that Justin's in a better place now, and I know he is no longer hurting or afraid. However, I was totally messed up for a long time afterwards. I even kept the last backup tape that Justin made for a couple of years. What finally brought me out of this was meeting another young man, so totally different from Justin, but one who became my best friend for almost two decades until we finally drifted apart and don't even speak anymore. Kurt is his name, and he brought me back from the brink of despair without, I think, even realizing he had. As I type this, my heart aches that he and I are not even friends anymore. So who knows, maybe I'll reach back out to him and we can mend whatever rift came between us. Writing about Justin reminds me that life is short and we should hold on to those people in our lives that are special to us and be there for them through thick and thin. Okay, that feels like a stopping point. Donna, Carrie, thank you so much for all you do. And I'm really glad y'all have such a wonderful community and platform to bring such diverse yet similar people together. We definitely need to grab dinner together one night. Hopefully by the time this airs, we have. Love to all, George B. Um. Okay, let me just start off by saying I'm a terrible person because when he said the bull... All I thought about was cuckolding. Color me surprised. <laughs> and so when I just was like, don't think that, Donna. He's talking about computer stuff. But you know how it goes. I'm going to need you to message us and tell us exactly what house it is so that I can know. Yes, please do. <laughs> and I'm very sorry about Justin and how much you were affected because it really is like yeah. a, a ripple effect when you lose someone that you don't even realize. Yes. It really is. Um, And don't feel bad about holding on to the last drive or whatever tape that he did. Because my dad held on to a fucking deli cat container that it was the last one my sister bought before she died. Because she would buy the cat food for him sometimes. And it was one of those big ones that was like plastic and had a... uh, handle on it but did he store things in it no like no one touched it because that's the one that Lori gave to him before she died and i'm like what the fuck you're not even using it like why why is this a thing 
And I mean, it was a while before we actually got him to move it because he would just like want it there so he could always see it. So never feel bad because like you don't know what's going to mean something to you until it means something to you. You know, that last little bit of connection. Also talking about you and that guy and you maybe reaching back out and trying to reconnect. I think it's super, super, super cool that this podcast has helped us reconnect. Like Mm -hmm. who knew that we would come back into each other's lives? Yeah, uh, we met George. I had just moved to Houston. So 2009. Yeah. Uh, and we randomly met at a Halloween party my very, very first year in Houston. I came back for the Halloween party, and we randomly met. And then here we are, back together. Yeah. The gang's back together. <laughs> okay, the next one. Hey, y'all, you can use my name, Paula from Arizona. I'm using a work computer. Shh. Because I just did not have the patience for my fat fingers and thumbs to try to do this on a cell. I found your awesome ass podcast a few months ago and I instantly found two new soulmates. I feel like we're all old friends and when I tell my other paranormal and true crime about y'all, I just say Carrie and Donna like they would know exactly who I'm referring to. I started from the beginning, so I'm just getting into the 2019 episodes. If you happen to pick this story, I hope you do, I won't know for a few months. Or a year. <laughs> I listen to the cast during my commute to and from work. It relaxes me and helps me zen out in preparation of having to put up with assholes and stupid people. Anyhow, here's a paranormal story for you. In my Donna voice, picture it. It's 1984 and I'm in the 8th grade. I meet a girl named Yoshia, she goes by Yoi, and we instantly become best friends. For the first Christmas after we meet, I get her a small panda candle and on its belly it says friends forever. We go through high school and get in all the great shenanigans. Fast forward to April 1992. I was five months pregnant with my now 29 year old daughter. Yoey and another friend were going to Los Angeles for the weekend. They get into an accident and both die instantly. I was going to her mom's house the next day and I had a dream. Or was it a dream? I dreamt that Yoey and I were talking and she was telling me that she had to go run some errands and she was trying to give me back that candle to hold on to it for safekeeping. I told her it was her candle and she should take care of it. We went back and forth a few times saying the same thing and finally she says that she'll find a way to make sure I take it and then I wake up. The next day I'm at her mom's house and we were just talking and reminiscing. Her mom leaves the room and comes back a few minutes later holding that candle She says to me, Paula, don't freak out or anything, but Yoey came to me in a dream last night and told me that I needed to give you this candle. She said that you needed to have it and to take care of it for her as she had some errands to do. I told her about my dream as well and we just cried and knew that she had visited us both and made sure I got that candle back. In April 2022, it will be 30 years since she passed and 38 years since I gave her that candle. To this day, that candle sits on my nightstand. When I had my daughter four months later, I named her after Yoey. I miss her dearly and am excited to see her again one day. Thank you for all the laughters and tears and great stories, Paula. But all that, that's so special that we had two stories in a row that had, like you were keeping something of someone's, you know? Yes. I felt like that when um, my grandma passed and we were going through her house and my mom would be like, 
you know, do you want this? Do you want that? And I'm like, yes, I want it all because it was hers. You know, yeah. I don't know. Do I need 17 spatulas? No, I don't. <laughs> should I've taken them because now they're on my registry? Yes, I should have. <laughs> but the point is, is that I wanted those things that because they were hers. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you lost your best friend, but it seems like you really haven't lost her because she is keeping tabs on you. And when you were like, I'm not going to do it, she was like, oh, you are. Like, legit. That's some shit Donna would do. (laughs) You're not wrong. She's going to get the last word. You're not wrong. She's going to have like a little, told you so, told you so, (laughs) told you so, in my dream. Now, meanwhile, we just left the uh, restaurant earlier today and we said, love you. And then it was like, love you more. And like, we were trying to get in the car to say it the most. And it was like, love you more than that by you. (laughs) <laughs> you heard what I said when I got in the car with my time. I love you, Infinity. I win. Oh, damn it. No, I didn't hear it. So it doesn't count. Okay. Except for count. I did. <laughs> yeah. Do y'all tell your friends I love you? Because we do. Yeah. I feel like not everybody does that, though. Oh. We got attachment issues. Oh, my God. We got to the restaurant, though. Tiffany wasn't there yet. It was just me, Donna, and Colby. And because um, I still have my bronchitis. Like, I'm going back to the doctor in two days because it will not fucking let up. But Donna was looking kind of pale. Like, she didn't look like she was feeling very good either. And Chloe said, why are all my wives sick? (laughs) (laughs) I love that he just goes along with us. Like, he's just like, whatever. I got sister wives. It's cool. (laughs) Okay, the next one. Hey, y'all. You're young Kentuckian here. As I said last time, I'm binging the pod, and I'm currently listening to Sinister Sightings 47. They will have a long time before they get to theirs. Like 140 times. Well, okay, I don't do math right. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. The first story reminded me of a similar experience of mine. When I was about seven or eight, my mom worked as a secretary for the county health department. One of the duties was for her to get the mail from the P.O. box. As I was an eight-year-old going on 15, I thought I was the crap. I don't cuss, so feel free to replace this word with one from your colorful vocabulary. (laughs) You don't know us. Oh, God. Okay. So they thought they were the crap when she would let me go inside, use the tiny little key, and get all the important documents. I'm not sure how other post offices work, but for some reason, they leave the building open after hours and would just block off the back. I don't know if that's a good explanation or not. One day, we went after closing, and my mom let me go in by myself. When I got out of the car, I noticed this old baby blue truck sitting across the parking lot. I could tell there was someone in it, but it was too far for me to see. I go in, do my thing, then I walk back to the car. As I'm walking back, the truck turns on. I don't think anything of it. Maybe he was getting hot. Once I got in the car, I started feeling a huge sense of dread. My mom could tell something was up, but didn't push it. We started to pull out, and the truck followed us. As soon as it turned on the main road behind us, I started screaming and crying. Mom, the truck is following us, I screamed. I could tell my mom felt uneasy too, and she said, Baby, I'm sure he's just going the same way we are. I kept looking back at the truck, begging for her to go faster. She started speeding up, so did the truck. I started freaking out even more. Luckily, I got my love of true crime from my mama, and she was smart enough to do the circle trick. You know, the one where you turn right four times to see if they follow you? Well, it only took two turns for her to get her answer. She started driving towards the police station, and the truck turned around. Now that I'm older, me and my mom have had conversations about this. 
she has since told me that she felt like something was telling her not to go to the post office that day. And she also said as soon as I got in the car, she knew it was something about the truck. Pretty much all women from my mama's side are sensitive. My mama thinks it's due to our Cherokee roots. Like I said in my last one, I have plenty of stories about my nanny having dreams that come true. I also have a cousin that sees spirits. She doesn't like to be called a medium and isn't very vocal about it. Let me know if you want to hear. Love y'all. Creep it real. Madison from Kentucky. That is so scary. I'm glad your mom was with you. I mean, obviously you were younger, but I'm glad she was with you. And I'm glad that she went to the police, like started in that direction. And that she listened to you too. It wasn't like, no, it's fine. Blah, 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 blah. No. She was like, yep, don't like this. Yeah. That is so freaking scary. I don't think I've ever actually been followed, but I'd sure have thought I was being followed before, you know, where it's like, if these people turn down my road, I am going to circle around Because they should not be turning down my road, Mm -hmm. you know, and just stuff like that. So I know how I felt. And that wasn't actually even the case, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh gosh. Uh, Before we move on. Yes, we do want all the stories that you have. Send them in. Aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. Okay, the next one. Hi, ladies. I've had quite a few experiences with ghosts, but I thought I would tell you about the haunted pottery studio I used to go to. Sorry, it's a long one. They were pretty active ghosts. The studio was in an old tannery complex, question mark if I said that correctly, that had been converted into art studios. The studio was haunted by two ghosts who were pretty active. The ghosts tended to only do things when me and the female owner were there. The first ghost we called Tony, since there was the name Tony carved into the concrete in the back room. Tony was always haunting that studio the entire time I went there and was a big fan of doing creepy stuff really close to me. One day, we heard what sounded like a big bag of dirt spilling, but was never able to find anything that had spilled. Another day, the pottery wheel would turn on and start spinning, and when we commented on how it turned on, it stopped. This tended to happen a lot, but there was no issue with the wheel's wiring. I would bring my dog with me a lot to the studio, and she's one of those dogs that would only wag her tail if she's being acknowledged by someone. A lot of time when I was throwing pottery on the wheel, she would just look behind me and start wagging her tail like someone was there and looking at her. Tony would also move the tables, which were on wheels. A lot of the time when the table moved, it would move one way and then move back so it couldn't be blamed on an uneven floor. It wasn't a gentle move either. It was a hard push because he definitely wanted you to know he was there. The sink in the studio was in the back corner, and a lot of the time you would see shadows of a guy moving on the wall from something behind you. There was some times where we didn't wash extra dishes because it was just too uncomfortable. Tony became pretty attached to me and would become more active when I wasn't there if I was having a bad day by moving things and throwing things. I didn't go to the studio for a couple of weeks because I was busy, but had decided to go one day. About an hour before I texted the owner I was coming in, Tony threw a box of my pottery tools off of my cart in the middle of the room in front of a bunch of people. The other ghost we would call the lady. There is a church across the street, and one day we saw a funeral happening there and thought it was someone that was young because most of the attendees of the funeral were young. 
About an hour after the funeral, we could hear a woman walking up the hallway. You could hear her heels and her jewelry jangling, and you could hear her walking toward the studio since the door was open and at the end of the hall. Just as it sounded like the woman would have gotten to the door, no one came in and no one was in the hall. The lady didn't do creepy things like Tony, but definitely wanted us to know she was there. You could hear her walking up the hall and she would call hello, but no one was there. One morning before almost anyone else was in the building, me and the owner were working on some stuff and we heard her call Ginger, my dog. It took us a minute to figure out that neither of us had called the dog and Ginger was looking for the ghost that called her. Ginger loves attention, so she really liked the ghost because they would always acknowledge her. The owner would also tell me about how one night she left the studio and she realized that she left the light on and when she walked back to the studio, she could see someone walking behind the door and decided to just leave that light on and leave for the night. We moved the studio to another location when they decided to change that building into apartments. I feel bad for whoever gets that apartment where Tony haunts because he was super creepy. Thanks for reading this and I hope you enjoyed the creepiness, Joanne. Um, I just need to acknowledge that. Hi, I'm Ginger. I'm your dog. Like, oh, pay attention to me. Love you. I mean, I wasn't going to say it, but. You know. I actually was thinking um, that's Marley. Oh, 100%. Um, and tell me, why am I picturing Ginger as a golden retriever? Oh, <laughs> I was picturing her as like a little small dog, like a little spaniel or something. Huh, what kind of dog is she? Yeah, let us know. Also, that's really cool that you do pottery. <sighs> What's it like to have a talent? I know, right? And a hobby, let's be honest. I'm too just fucking weird to do pottery because like I want to do it but then your hand's dirty and I itch too much but I hate being dirty and so like they'd be like ma'am you just got on a roll and be like but my scalp itches but I don't want it all over my scalp so I have to wash my hands first like it would be too much and that is not a lie so they would be like "Uh, don't come back please also have you and anyone else ever reenacted the scene from ghost they probably hate You know that. what? I don't care. I want to know. Inquiring minds. And even if you hate it, you know you have to have done it at least once. Like, you're just like, this is so stupid. Why are we doing this? Oh, my God. But let's do it. That's how, like, half of our fun stuff happened. You're not wrong about that. <laughs> but, yeah, I feel sorry for whoever gets Tony as a roommate because he loved to cause trouble. Like, and look, I do not need anyone pushing shit where it doesn't need to be pushed All the things. Like, no, no, no. I'm messy enough by myself. Don't be messing up my shit. (laughs) Throw my fucking tools down. (laughs) Okay, the next one. Hey, ladies. Found this podcast, and I love it. You're so funny and are my best friends that I've never met. I'm not caught up yet. I'm still in the beginning of 2021. Wow, words are hard. Those were numbers. It was still a word. (laughs) (laughs) I want to tell you a story about the loss of my dear friend. It's not scary or creepy, but heartwarming and confirms to me that there's something after we pass. Here's my story. My best friend, since we were five years old, passed when he was only 47, unexpectedly. I took it so hard and could not get the closure I needed, so I made an appointment with a medium that a coworker had used in the past, and she said this lady was for real. I also wanted to hear from my grandma who passed away on my birthday years ago. So before I went to the medium, I grabbed a rose pen that my grandma owned and said out loud to my grandma, if this medium is for real, please bring up these roses. I put the pen in my purse. 
like P-I-N, not P-E-N, because my accent, those words are the same. The appointment was made by phone and with only my first name and I paid cash. So this lady had no idea who I was. Right away, the medium brought up a man who's standing behind me who is a friend of mine. She brought up that there's a picture of him that I talked to and songs that remind me of him and they were true. She had so many things about him that matched perfectly. She told me he passed away in his sleep by mixing Ambien and alcohol and it went toxic. Later, his aunt confirmed this. He said he is at peace and that he loves me and to stop being so sad and start living my life with happiness. She said he sends me dimes and I remembered finding dimes, but I never knew why. Now I know that and I have $8 in dimes that I find everywhere. One was under the carpet we removed from our bedroom. Just really weird places. Then she said my grandmother came through and was telling me things about her that matched too. She then said, what about the roses? I was stunned. I said, well, my grandma used to garden, wanting more than that to validate. And she said, your grandmother is telling me you said to bring up the roses. I then opened my purse and pulled out the pen and the medium said, yes, that's what she's talking about. That floored me, but also made me happy to know that she is there and listens to me when I talk to her. Same thing with my best friend and they connected in heaven and my grandma says he makes her laugh. He was the funniest guy you ever wanted to meet. So this makes me feel good that we'll meet again someday. Creep it real and don't get scared. Thank you for listening, Dawn. That is so freaking sweet. Also, I was wondering what I would take about my mom and that was like her false teeth. (laughs) Oh my God. That's probably true. Oh, gosh. The, the legit, the medium would be like, so what's this about teeth? <laughs> Carrie would be there with me. You know, this is, she'd be like, well, I always have a dream about my teeth falling out. That's like a nightmare for me. She'd be like, no, there's like teeth in a purse. <laughs> you found them once, she said. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I sure did fucking find them. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Well, I'm very sad that you did experience that loss, but I'm glad that you got... The confirmation that you needed. I want to go to a medium so bad. Yeah. Especially now. Like, I used to think, like, well, I don't even know who would show up for me. You know, because, like, I had had people in my life pass. Like, grandparents and stuff, yes. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't know. But, like, now I'm like, no, I I, I want to go. Yeah. Well, because now you've had someone from your immediate family. Right. And I'm also very glad that it seems like the person you went to was legit. Yeah. And if they weren't, they were really good at faking it and made you feel better. So, so worth it. Yeah, for sure. When people are like, I don't know if it was placebo effect or really worked. I'm like, who cares? Did it work? Yeah. It worked. Yeah. Okay. The last one. Hi, ladies. I'm a newer listener. I just recently discovered your podcast during the pandemic and have been addicted ever since. Thank you so much for all that you do. I've been catching up and listening to your Sinister Sightings episodes. I knew I had a few experiences, but could never recall them in succinct, succinct, don't be using these fancy words, please, (laughs) (laughs) in succinct detail enough to write in, but I just remembered something that I thought would fit in the theme of these episodes. Obligatory warning, this will be a long message. I would also, due to the nature of this story, prefer that you do not use my real name if you do decide to read this on the podcast. Some background. I used to work in a residential drug and alcohol treatment facility for women between the years of 2008 and 2016, and again part-time for a year between 2019 and 2020. 
The typical length of stay was four and a half to six months. All of this information will be relevant to the story. We were a state-funded program, so most of our women came into treatment were either coming directly from prison, were previously homeless, or otherwise on hard times. Throughout my time there, I had several experiences of premonitions and just general vibes I would pick up from the residents. I think this is due to a combination of the energy within the facility with different personality types coming in and out throughout the years, all with intense energy, as well as the fact that the program was located in an old house that certainly had some vibes of its own. Now, on to the story. We had a resident in our program, we'll call her Miss Hattie, note, not her actual name, but somewhat similar. Miss Hattie was in her early 50s, had two children she was estranged from, and otherwise had no family. She entered our program sometime in 2010. She was pretty quiet, didn't participate in a lot of the treatment offered, and had few supports outside of treatment. She also had some health problems that made it hard for her to get around and also limited the programs she'd be able to quote-unquote step down to once she completed treatment. Eventually, Miss Hattie was able to find a placement in an assisted living type facility where she would eventually move. Miss Hattie stayed in our program for a little longer than the six-month limit as we had to wait for space to become available at the next place. She ended up transitioning from our program to her assisted living community sometime in early 2011. Several months later, I had a dream about Miss Hattie. I don't remember all the details, but I remember it was pretty vivid. I thought it was weird, and when I got to work the next day, I told my coworkers about it. That very same day, some random person from a medical facility knocked on the door of our program to ask us if we had medical records for Miss Hattie. We politely told them to fuck off and come back with a signed release. It was very strange that it all happened on the same day. While getting requests for medical records is not that out of the ordinary, typically the request would come by phone and would be accompanied by a signed release of information. My coworkers and I all thought it was weird that this happened on the same day that I had a dream about her, but didn't talk about it much as we had other things to attend to. As you can imagine, a lot was happening in the facility at all times that needed our immediate attention. As the day went on and the workday went on as usual, we basically forgot about it. Towards the end of the day, we received a phone call from Miss Hattie's assisted living program to inform us that she had passed away the night before. I was in disbelief. All of my coworkers and I took this as a sign that my psychic powers were at work. A short while later, I attended the memorial service with some of the other residents in the program who knew Miss Hattie from her stay. I always reference that story as a weird psychic experience I had, but honestly didn't think much about it in the years after. But the story actually does not end there. As I mentioned, a few years after Miss Hattie's death, I left that job and moved on to a new job, but did go back to do some weekend shifts part-time in 2019. One morning on my drive to the program, the Miss Hattie story randomly popped into my memory. I don't know what made me think of it, as it was just a random day, but I thought of it that morning. After I facilitated my therapy group with the clients, I went to the office to complete my progress notes from the session. I noticed next to the computer there were approximately 50 paper charts in the box that were to be shredded, as our medical records are required by law to be shredded after a certain amount of time has passed. Considering the time frame, I figured most of these charts were clients when I worked back in the day full-time. 
Out of the 50 charts, I randomly chose one to pick up and look at. Well, wouldn't you know, the chart I picked up was Miss Hattie's. I had no way of knowing this would be her chart, but there it was. All I could do was shake my head and chuckle. I have no idea why, but it seems my presence in her life was important to Miss Hattie. I'm glad I could be a source of support for her towards the end of her life. It's been about two years since my last Miss Hattie encounter, so I'm just waiting on the next one as I imagine there will be more. Thanks so much for taking the time to read this, and I look forward to your podcast episodes every week. Creep it real and don't get scared. Love you, girls. Y'all have some cool-ass jobs. Y'all are doing such great work. That's amazing. Also, I want to know who it was that was coming to look for her medical records. Yeah, I don't know. Like, was it one of those just weird timing things, or was it something sinister? I don't think it was sinister. God bless. I like the name Hattie. Well, and I loved Miss Hattie because it was Mm H-A-T-T-I-E, and that reminds me of Hattiesburg, where we live. Her name was probably Miss Patty, which is Donna's mom's name. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. It was Hattie, allegedly. <laughs> fucking armchair detective over here. Yeah, well, they she can't fucking. She could think about that, but she cannot translate a typo to save her life. I can't rhyme either. No, you can't. <laughs> well, these stories were amazing. Thank y'all for sharing such like tender moments and very private stories with us. It really does mean a lot that you open up to us because. People really do bond with you over your stories, and it means so much to them. Yes, and oh my God, I was thinking tender, and then you said tender moments. Oh, Yeah. She just wants to get laid. Annie, who's it? Tinder. Bye. Oh. Well, even I know how to spell that, and that wasn't that. I was thinking, like... No, the E. Well, no matter what Tinder you're into, thank you so much for sending all these stories in. Keep them coming, aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.